Today we're going to look at a, a message and part of a series that we'll do over the next year, maybe year plus, called Elemental. And how this series will work is that uh, I'll break up some other series over the course of the next year with these messages on some of the elements that are a part of our worship and our life as a church family. I'm just kind of insert them here and there. Today we're going to have our first one. We'll have the next one on New Year's Eve, and there will be others uh, on into next year. We'll just kind of insert them along the way. But to get us thinking about the theme uh, uh, for today, I, I want to ask you a question. I want you to think about what your favorite songs are. And I'm guessing if you're like me, like the list is probably rather lengthy. Uh, you likely have um, 20, 25, 50 songs that you like, but just start thinking of some of your favorite songs, like uh, maybe a place to begin. Or what are those songs that you find yourself belting out uh, in the car sometimes by yourself? Well, what are those songs that maybe you catch yourself singing in the shower or on an embarrassing occasion, maybe somebody else catches you singing in the shower? Uh, what are those songs that you sing in private? What are those songs that stir you? What are those songs that, that energize you? What are those songs that uh, get you hyped up and amped up? Uh, maybe it's to run a race. Maybe it's to clean the house. Maybe it's to do some yard work. Maybe it's to do some homework. Like, what are those songs that, that hype you up and get you going? What are those songs for you that, that, that as, you, as you sing them, they take you back to uh, a place in time? And maybe allow you to smell uh, the scents again and, and see the people that were there. Maybe songs that transport you to a place and you feel the emotion of the moment again. Songs have such a powerful place in each of our lives. We could go around the room and I could hear stories from you of songs that are meaningful to you, maybe meaningful from high school or college or your wedding or a place and a destination you went with someone that you love. Just an example from my own life, a song that whenever I hear it takes me to a certain place is a country song by Keith Urban. A country song is your everything. He released it in 1999. It was a part of Audrey and my wedding. And I will tell you when the song became meaningful to me is when Audrey and I were engaged and we were looking forward to our wedding. And I loved at that time the sentiment of the song. I want to be your everything. I want to be the wind beneath your sails, the hands that lift your veil. Uh, I want to be the, you know, everything that you will ever need. And I've learned in 23 years of marriage, which we'll celebrate this Saturday, that I cannot be nearly everything for my wife. Only God can be that. But anytime I hear that song, it takes me back to our, our young love. And it particularly takes me back to our wedding because that's the song that Audrey walked down the aisle to was my brother playing on the piano, Keith Urbinger, everything, and singing it. And it just transports me back there every time. What are those songs for you? Songs have such tremendous power. And I think most of the time those songs have power for good. Now, we also know that songs can have power for bad. I'm guessing that you, like me, have times when particular songs kind of helped you rage a little bit, or maybe even songs promoted thoughts of lust or something in your mind. We see the power of song. Science and research confirms the power of song and the power of music. Uh, study after study has been done, but I'm going to share with you a few insights from a recent study done with Oxford University. It was a rather lengthy study. Here are three of the several conclusions they came to related to singing. I have them on the screen, I think. Um, pretty small font because I want them to all fit on one, one screen. 
Here's some of the conclusions. The physiological benefits of singing and music more generally have long been explored. Music making exercises the brain as well as the body, but singing is particularly beneficial for improving breathing, posture, and muscle tension. Listening to and participating in music has been shown to be effective in pain relief, probably due to the release of neurochemicals such as beta endorphins, uh, those same natural painkillers that uh, people experience after intense exercise. Another finding, singing has also been shown to improve our sense of happiness and well-being. Research has found, for example, that people feel more positive after actively singing than they do after passively listening to music or chatting about positive life events. Improved mood, probably in part, comes directly from the release of those same positive neurochemicals, uh, beta endorphins and dopamine and serotonin. It's also likely to be influenced by changes in our sense of social closeness with one another. When we sing in large groups, people feel close. We saw this on display about 10 years ago when flash mobs were big and people would gather in a public location they would start singing. There was a sense of bonding and closeness among those crowds. Those of you that go to a concert, Morgan Walling, Taylor Swift, Casting Crowns, whatever it is, there's a bond you feel as you sing loud these songs among other people. Here's the third finding I chose to include. We've also shown that community singing is effective for bonding large groups. The point of this study and several others that have been conducted is that singing is powerful. Music is powerful. You know this, I know this. Why is it that music and singing is so powerful to us? Well, in part, it's because our creator hardwired us for singing and for music. Let's just set human beings aside for a moment. Uh, Let's look at the rest of the animal kingdom. Think about how much music plays a role in creation. Our, Our birds are slowly leaving as we approach winter. For most of the last four or five months, If you wake up early in the morning, you can hear the song of the birds. Each one with its own unique cry and song. If you go beneath the surface of the water, you can hear the chirping and singing of dolphins and whales. If you go out on the savannah, you can hear the roar of the lion and the bellow of the wildebeest. If you go into the rainforest, you can hear the cackle and the howl of, of, of monkeys. You can be around a fighter uh, late at night and hear the song of crickets and cicadas and bullfrogs. And we can just look at creation and see how so much of creation creates this beautiful music. In fact, creation inspires music in the minds of artists and composers over the last two weeks, uh, as we've been ser- we were serving on this global impact trip with our partner here, TCM, uh, that training facility is in the eastern part of Austria near the border of Slovakia and Hungary. It's a beautiful place. It's part of what's called the Wienerwald or the Vienna Woods. It's a place that's near some pretty famous locations. Uh, one of them is Baden by Vienna or Baden by Vienna. It's the place where Beethoven lived during the summers of 1821, 1822, and 1823. 
And we know from local history that during the summers of 1821, 22, and 23, that Beethoven wrote and composed most of the Ninth Symphony. And the local history there tells the story of how he walked and wandered among the trails of the Vienna woods outside of Baden. I think I included a picture of the house that he stayed in in Baden. This is uh, the address Rothaus Gasse 10, um, just a place you can walk by in the city of Baden where Beethoven lived during three summers. I think that's pretty cool. Beethoven was probably uh, one of the most famous composers that I knew as a kid growing up. But I have some other pictures I want to just kind of leave on the screen for a few moments. And these are pictures taken from the trails in the Vienna woods just outside of Baden. The place where we were serving was about 10 kilometers. I don't do the math into miles. That's just what they told me. Uh, to Baden from where we were staying. And one of the guys that was a short-term worker like us, a volunteer on our trip, would go on trail runs a few afternoons while we were there. And these are pictures that he took from his trail runs. And the locals say that these are the very trails that Beethoven walked. And so it's quite likely that Beethoven at some point saw these same views. And the views that he saw inspired him as he composed his famous Ninth Symphony. The point is this, is that creation has been hardwired with music and song. There's a reason why when we gather as a church, not just our church, but the church of, of Jesus Christ all throughout the world, that singing is a huge part of what we do. Whether it's a church gathering in uh, an underground church movement in a place like China or North Korea or Uzbekistan, or a church gathering in a living room as part of a house church movement, or whether it's a group of monks gathering in a monastery and chanting out psalms. When the church gathers, it often sings because singing has been hardwired into us. I don't know how often you pause to ask the question, why do we sing? You come to worship. I know some people intentionally come to worship a little bit late. You're not comfortable with singing. But if you ask the question, why do we sing? Why do we sing? Every week we sing between three and five songs on rare occasions even more. Why is it that we, when we sing, we, we, when we gather, we sing? And that's what I want to explore today because we see that singing is a huge part of the story of God's people. We sing, in fact, because singing is rooted in the story of God's people and the expression of God's people throughout the ages. I want to do first is I want to take you on a tour of scripture to help you see how singing has long been a part of the expression of God's people. Following that tour, we'll see that singing is the sign of a transformed heart. And even in the passages that we look at towards the very end, we'll see that singing is not only as part of God's story and the expression of his people and the sign of a transformed heart, but singing is commanded of his people by God himself uh, through the pen of the Apostle Paul. Singing should be a part of our experience as a church. And while sometimes we do it really well, uh, one of the things that the church in America is often known for is that we're not very vigorous in our singing. And my hope that is, uh, over the coming months and years, that we can grow to be an expression of God's church that sings, that sings boldly, that sings loudly, that sings joyfully, because our God is deserving of our praise. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Exodus chapter 15. That'll be the first stop on our tour. As you turn to Exodus 15, I'll orient you to what has unfolded prior uh, to this moment. 
In Exodus, we hear the story of God's people uh, following the death of Joseph, uh, this, this patriarch in uh, the later chapters of Genesis. You may recall from uh, biblical history that Joseph rose to prominence in Egypt like none other ever had. But as time went on, uh, Pharaoh rose to power in Egypt that didn't know Joseph nor what God had done for him, done through him for the people of Egypt. And the next Pharaoh was threatened by the people of God in Israel, and so he enslaved them. For 400 years, they lived as slaves. And then God raised up the deliverer, Moses, who many of us know that name. As the story unfolds in those early chapters of Exodus, uh, Moses ends up coming back to Pharaoh and telling him that God demands that Pharaoh let his people go. Pharaoh resists. Pharaoh says no. And so um, God sends 10 plagues on Egypt. And the final plague breaks Pharaoh momentarily, and he lets God's people go. And so Moses leads the people of Israel into the wilderness, and they come to the Red Sea. And along the way, Pharaoh had a change of heart, and he began pursuing the people of God. And here the people of God then are sandwiched between Pharaoh's forces, who are much stronger than them with their weapons and their might, and the Red Sea. And the people begin to grumble and complain, and they wonder if Moses just brought them out there to die. And uh, Moses looks up to God, and he asks for deliverance, and God parts the Red Sea, and the people of God cross over safely, and as Pharaoh's armies pursue him, they're swallowed up in the waters, and God delivers his people. Well, immediately following that rescue and that deliverance, here's what we read in Exodus chapter 15, verse 1. It says, Then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. Both horse and driver he has hurled into the sea. And if you're looking at your Bibles, we don't have time to read them, but you will see that the song goes on and on to recount how God has been faithful, how God has delivered, how God has worked on behalf of his people. But what I want to draw your attention to is this in verse 1, it says that Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord when they were rescued, when they delivered, and they experienced the salvation of God, they could not help but sing out of gratitude to give praise to God. Fast forward 40 years to Deuteronomy chapter 31. Moses has led the people of God through the wilderness, through their grumbling, through their complaining, through their doubts, a journey that should have lasted only months, lasts 40 years. Because of Moses' own disobedience, uh, he understands that he won't be able to lead the people into the promised land. And yet, even as he nears the end of his life, Moses sings and gives praise to God. In fact, all of Deuteronomy chapter 32 is this beautiful song from Moses, but I want to draw you to Deuteronomy 31, verse 30, just to read these final words that introduce the song. Deuteronomy 30, 31, 31 verse 30 says this, and Moses recited the words of this song from beginning to end in the hearing of the whole assembly of Israel. And the song that follows recounts God's faithfulness. Uh, it recounts the um, disobedience of God's people, the corruption of God's people, the forgiveness that God brings, uh, the work of even Israel's enemies. But Moses sings praise to God even as he faces the end of his life. He sings you could turn through the story of the judges and you could find songs sung to God. You can turn through the stories of the kings, in particular David and Solomon, and read of their songs. Their songs are recorded in, in the book of the Old Testament that we know as Psalms. 
In Hebrew, the name of the book of Psalms is Tehillim. It literally translated means songs of praise. And here in the middle of our Bibles is an anthology of 150 different songs. We call them psalms, which literally means songs sung to stringed instruments. But these are psalms that the people of God sang on occasion after occasion. This was Jesus' songbook. In fact, we know from the New Testament that Jesus himself sang. He was a singer. If you don't believe me, turn to Matthew chapter 26, verse 30. Jesus, following this incident in the upper room, when he reimagines or, or helps the people see in a new way the Passover meal, we just celebrated in the Lord's Supper. When that meal is concluded, after he's forecasted uh, Peter's denial and Judas' betrayal, what does Jesus do? Matthew chapter 26, verse 30. Then they sang a song and then went out to the Mount of Olives. Jesus... Don't let this get lost on you. When Jesus is in distress, when Jesus knows he's going to be betrayed, when Jesus knows that one of his best friends is going to deny his existence, when Jesus knows that he's about to die, he's gonna suffer, he's gonna bleed, he's gonna be falsely accused, what does Jesus do? He sings. There is something about singing praise to God that reminds us of who God is and what he has done, even when our circumstances are less than we would desire. Singing has long been a part of the story of God's people and the expression of his people. And we can move on from Jesus. And we can look at the story of the New Testament believers. You can turn to Acts chapter 16. In Acts chapter 16, we have the story of Paul and Silas. They come into the city of Philippi. Along the way, they're met by this demon-possessed girl who is, who is just proclaiming things over them. And so they cast out the demon in this girl. It ruins the livelihood for her owners. And then Paul and Silas are thrown into prison. And we learn in Acts chapter 16 that they were severely flogged. They were imprisoned in the innermost part of the prison. They were put in shackles and chains and Acts chapter 16, verse 25 tells us that about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and doing what? Singing. And as they sing, other people listen in the jail. It's the power of singing hardwired into creation. The story of God's people, the expression of God's people throughout the ages. God's people sing because of who he is and what he's done. If that's not enough to convince you, you can look to Paul's words in Ephesians. This is where we begin to see that singing is not only about God's story and the lives of his people, but it's about a transformed heart and even obedience. Ephesians chapter 5. We'll look at verses 18 through 20. Paul gives a com peculiar comparison uh, as he emphasizes singing. Here's what he writes. Verse 18, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to this wild living, uncontrolled living as the alcohol overtakes. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Some versions say don't get drunk on wine, but instead get drunk on the Holy Spirit to give you the, the visual picture here. Be so overwhelmed with God's Spirit that it changes how you live and how you act. So don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Verse 19, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. 
sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. As God's spirit overtakes us, it should compel us to sing. Singing out of gratitude for who God is and what God has done. God's people sing. Colossians chapter 3, Paul writes to the believers there something very similar. Colossians 3 verse 16. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. We could fast forward again to the picture in Revelation that I referenced during our time of communion. What do we see in scene after scene after scene that's depicted in the new creation? Angelic beings, angelic hosts, the community of the redeemed, those who have faith in Jesus when all things are made new. And what are they doing? They're singing. They're bowing down, falling on their knees in worship, singing the song, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Singing is the story of God's people. It's rooted in scripture. It's rooted in his story. It's rooted in the expression of God's people throughout the ages. Is it present in your life and my life? Singing is a sign of a transformed heart. As our hearts grow to become more and, and become more in alignment with who God is and what he's called us to do, as we grow in maturity as followers of Jesus, we will likely see that our desire to sing and to sing his praises increases. Something that I've discovered over my 30, what, four years of following Jesus, 23 years as a pastor, is that the more someone matures in growing to be like Jesus, oftentimes the more singing is a part of their life. There are a few barometers or measures that often we can see how people are maturing in Christ. Singing, uh, whether or not they treat their resources and give to God's kingdom generously and sacrificially, how they use their life, their time, their energy, is see their number one priority. These things help us see that someone's maturing in Christ. And again, one of those is singing. The closer we grow to Jesus, the more we want to sing of his praises. And that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to belt them out from a platform or, or belt them out in a room, but singing should have an increasing place in your life and in your faith. That's why I like these two passages in Ephesians and Colossians, because it speaks to the Spirit's power to overtake. Again, that image of not getting drunk on alcohol and letting it overtake you and lead you to wild living, but, wild living, but instead being overwhelmed by the Spirit. And as the Spirit takes hold, He transforms you. And one of those effects that, that you see in your life through the power of the Spirit is, is that you sing songs and hymns and spiritual songs giving thanks to God. And again, the same thing is mentioned in Colossians 3. Particularly in Colossians 3, uh, we have a reference to the message of Christ dwelling in us richly. The more we understand the gospel of Jesus, the good news of who Jesus is and what he's done, it should compel us to be people who sing, who sing his praise, who sing out of gratitude. This is not unique to the church in America. This is about the global church. Again, if you travel around the world today and you found yourself in the church as it worships in a number of contexts, you would find believers singing. 
sometimes singing in more hushed tones because of the threat that awaits from authorities because Christianity is illegal. Sometimes singing loudly and boldly because there is no care for what might happen. But you would find believers singing. Just last week, I had the, the join the privilege of worshiping uh, with believers in the morning last Sunday, uh, 10 o'clock Austrian time, four o'clock in the morning here. Uh, we were gathered in the basement of a building there on TCM's campus and we sang. I've got a picture of that worship experience. In this picture in particular, you'll see um, a group from Romania was leading us in worship. The entire song selection was sung in Romanian as they played. But if you look at the screen in the picture, uh, in Romanian are written the words to our hymn, How Great Thou Art. They intentionally chose songs that many people across contexts, like different cultures and countries would know. And so in the room during this time, we had people singing How Great There Are, How Great Thou Art in Romanian, in English, in Dutch, in German, in Polish, in Czech, in Albanian, in Russian, and in Ukrainian. And I may have missed a few, right? Is that not incredible? The global church is worshiping. Then I had the opportunity, something that I hope I don't forget for the rest of my life. On Sunday afternoon, I think Brandon mentioned it when he preached last week, as he was stepping up on the platform to preach here, I was stepping up onto a platform at a church uh, of Russian speakers, but it was a group of Ukrainian refugees. The church was planted by a TCM staff member, and up until the war broke out in the Ukraine um, in 22, there were about 60 people that were part of this church, and now it's about 200 people. And the bulk of the church, the bulk of the 200 are people displaced from Ukraine. I got invited to preach. Um, the whole service is in Russian. My sermon is translated every sentence or two from English into Russian. And I was so struck during the worship part, the singing part of our worship experience. Uh, they were singing songs that you and I would know, but they were singing them in Russian. And uh, so I, I thought we'd grab a couple clips and I'll let you listen to one. We'll talk about it a little bit and we'll listen and watch another. But I want to see if you can pick out these songs. So watch this first clip and see if you recognize the song that's being sung. Anybody recognize the tune in the background, right? It's, it's Oceans. Uh, we, we sing that here, and I want you to hear some of the, song, the, the words of the song in English. You call me out upon the waters, the great unknown where feet may fail, and there I find you in the mystery, in oceans deep, if my faith will stand. And I will call upon your name and keep my eyes above the waves. When oceans rise, my soul will rest in your embrace, for I am yours and you are mine. Now just think for a moment. This room is filled with 200 people, most of whom have been displaced from their country. Many of whom in just a few hours had to leave everything 
except the clothes on their back and a few items in a backpack, and they've come to another country. And yet they're singing with incredible passion that they'll call upon his name. They can keep their eyes above the waves because God is at work and God's going to carry them through. And unfortunately, what you can't hear in the video is that every song that was sung last Sunday in this church, it was sung so loud. I was touched in so many ways uh, from this, this band, this worship team of like 15 to 20-year-olds that are leading this Ukrainian church in worship. It was so incredible. And it speaks to the power of song. There's another song that we sang that day that I want you to hear, and it should be familiar to you as well. So check this out. Do you recognize that song at all? We've sang it the last two weeks here, and we're going to end our worship experience with this today. With it today, it's it's leading me to the cross. And again, some of the lyrics of that song: "Lead me to the cross where your love poured out. Bring me to my knees, Lord. I lay me down. Rid me of myself. I belong to you. Oh, lead me, lead me to the cross." And so here are Ukrainian refugees singing out, "Lead me to the cross. I need." Jesus. Probably one of the most moving things to me in that worship experience last week in this Russian-speaking church was as we were preparing to worship, um, a woman who had been one of my professors when I was in graduate school who has been displaced from the Ukraine herself, her name is Yulia. Yulia came to translate for us. We sat up front with her, Audrey and I did, and so as things are happening, she's telling us in English what's going on, and as the worship experience got ready to begin, a woman came over to greet us, and she was talking to us in Russian. We had no idea what she was saying. Every once in a while, she'd throw in an English word or a German word, thinking that somehow that would help us, and, and Yulia had to translate for us. And as she's telling us, she tells us about a woman who's with her, and this is her first Sunday at that church. The woman had just arrived in Vienna because the week before, her home had been destroyed in a Russian bombing. And here she is in the midst of this worship experience, singing Oceans and Lead Me to the Cross and the other songs that we sang. That's the power of singing for the global church. That's the power of singing for us. When we are broken, when we face things that aren't as we would want them to be, God gives us this gift of song. And something happens as we sing from these transformed hearts that he reminds us of his faithfulness. He reminds us of what is true. And so even as we proclaim words and songs, he, he steals that message deeper into us. God calls us to be a people who sing. Again, singing is, is commanded. When, when Paul writes to the believers in Ephesus, when Paul writes to the believers in Colossae, he doesn't say, if you would like, sing hymns, songs from the Spirit and spiritual songs. He says, no, sing. The Spirit should transform you to the place of singing. 
And it's my hope and my prayer that you can come to experience the joy of singing in our worship, in your private worship, that it could become a part of your life, that you can sing in every circumstance. One of the beauties of what we see in the Psalms is there are songs written when people are in agony. There are Psalms written when people are broken and hurt and confused. There are songs written when people are broken by their own sin. Psalm 51 is a song written about David's own experience in sinning and committing adultery with Bathsheba and, and how torn up he is about his rebellion against God and yet it is a song he can sing. Songs of triumph, songs of joy. Songs for every circumstance. Would we be a people that sings? Uh, We have one more opportunity to sing as a church this morning, uh, and it's going to be singing, Lead Me to the Cross. And so I hope that you'll join us in just a few moments as the the worship team comes on uh, to sing, Lead Me to the Cross with us, that we would become a church that sings, that sings because it's part of the story of God's creation that's been going on since the beginning a church that sings because our hearts are being transformed by him, a church that sings because we're obedient to the words of scripture, will we be people who sing and tell his story? Let's pray. God, I thank you. I thank you for your son, Jesus, who has done so much uh, to stir us to praise and thanksgiving and gratitude and song. And God, I pray that as we gather as a church, that we would grow in our obedience to you, that we would sing. God, one of the things that I'm struck by as I have conversations with men and women from different countries is that in many places, there aren't debates about what songs are sung. They're just overjoyed to sing. And God, I feel like one of the things we have to learn as believers in America, how much God, our consumerism has overtaken even the church and we make it about what we want. God, may you just foster in Lebanon Christian Church a heart that just wants to sing, that wants to sing anything and everything from hymns to songs of praise to new songs that are written about you. God, may we be a church that sings because you are worthy because you have delivered, because you have rescued. And God, may our songs encourage one another and lead us to encourage and reach the world around us. Father, in all these things, lead us to the cross. Amen.